Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. To our listeners from wherever you're tuning in, welcome and thank you for your continuing interest in our podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Christian Solomon. Christian is a partner in Pillsbury's corporate practice who provides strategic advice to startup, emerging growth, and established businesses. He has extensive buy and sell side M&A experience and counsels on dispositions, venture capital financings, public and private securities offerings, joint ventures, collaborations, technology licenses, corporate governance, and operational matters. While Christian works with clients across a variety of industries, he's particularly well known within the San Diego, California community of technology entrepreneurs and investors, and within the national community of hospitality dealmakers. Welcome to our podcast, Christian. Thanks for having me, Joel. Glad to be here. Christian, you have a really great practice with an emphasis on two industries, one of which seems relatively, relatively insulated by the unusual circumstances we're facing today, and the other which has been rocked pretty hard. It's the second one I'd like to focus on today. Can you start us off with a brief discussion of the status of the hotel business and what a recovery might look like for that sector? Absolutely. Obviously, just about everybody understands it because it's infected everybody's life, but it's been pretty tough out there for anything in the, the leisure industry generally and hotels specifically, and you know, recovery has been slow. Now, whenever you think about the hotel industry, you need to think about different classes of hotels, different market locations of hotels, and there's definitely some spots that are less painful than others, you know, whether it's extended stays and things of that sort. When you think about a deal person like me, I'm working on both hotels that are already existing and maybe refinancing and doing a renovation or buying and selling or changing their managers or their franchisors, but there's also things in the pipeline. And you know, a lot of those things on the, the, the former half will continue to happen to some degree. The, the latter half, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the pipeline. Everybody's predicting, and it's consistent with some of what I'm seeing so far, that projects that people were thinking about developing are not going to happen, or they're going to move at a much slower pace than originally planned. And, and of course, that's just here in the U.S. I mean, this is an international reality and our hospitality practice touches the entire world. In particular, I always am working on projects in Mexico and Canada and the Caribbean, uh, sometimes matters in Europe. And it's, it's the same reality when you think about the different kinds of classes, the different marketplaces. And it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. It definitely means a lot of difficult times for the whole variety of players in the industry for not just months, but probably years to come. So I know the industry has been hobbled with many distressed projects. Can you tell us about the different players and how they've been affected and the pressure points that have come into focus in the past few months? I mean, one of the first things that people start talking about, and it's certainly in all the hospitality press, is you start thinking about the lenders. I was reading an article about CMBS, and you know the reality is that many hotels are financed through CMBS. And you just look at the stats and the number of projects that are already in default is kind of staggering. And not only will that have all kinds of repercussions and shakeouts, but 
litigators and everything are already hanging out there in the mix. So it'll be really interesting to see how lenders start to behave. You know, for the most part, the last few months have been lenders granting forbearance because there's really nothing else to do uh, from a practical perspective. You know, how lenders will start behaving will be interesting. You know, which ones actually want to take the keys back to a hotel? And the same thing is true uh, in, in the MES sector. So many hotel projects have a level of mezzanine financing. And, and those folks, you know, if anything else, may be the owners of hotels soon, even if the senior lender stays in place and things don't shake out too poorly. You know, that part of that reality is obviously the, the owner side and that shuffle. You know, even if the, the levels of debt are worked through in some relatively positive manner, you know, owners are already shuffling their equity, looking for new partners to shore things up. There's even some projects that have filed for bankruptcy already. And then the last piece that I always think about, in part because I spent a lot of time working on hotel management agreements and the like, is that there's this whole other aspect. You know, there's the lenders, there's the equity sources for the owners, and there's the owner developers themselves, maybe whoever is sponsoring or, or otherwise in control of the project. But then in the hotel industry, you can't ignore the flags. You can't ignore the managers. There are plenty of projects that don't fall within that, but so many do. And that means that that's been particularly ugly because most of those players – not all of them, they make money based upon the top line of revenue. And revenue has been next to nothing. Many hotels still remain closed today, and some are going to remain closed until next year. So it's a, uh, you know, when they're not making money, it's that difficult, it's very difficult on the big name brands and then the smaller managers. So you will definitely see some of them you know, fall out of favor, either because the owners are disappointed with them and they want to move on. Or perhaps some of them will just have financial problems themselves. You know, the big brands have been doing a lot to shore up their financial positions. But the smaller managers have less opportunities to do so. Well, it sounds like a number of different industries that, that we're seeing affected um, in a similar fashion. And I assume the hospitality sector has been like the others, where distress for some means opportunity for others. Can you walk us through some of the bright spots, uh, some of the opportunities that may be presenting themselves? Absolutely. And I think there is some there are some bright spots. You know, I, I've been working on a few of them just the last few weeks. You know, I mentioned the reality that there'll be some mez lenders who take ownership from a, a hotel, you know, from a hotel owner. I, I, I know there's players out there already interested in uh, in lending in that slice of the, the stack because they'll view that as, as opportunity. And, you know, even if things aren't going to shake out here in the next short term, you know, the six, six to 12 months, there's just the reality that projects ebb and flow naturally and there'll be winners and losers. You know, group business probably isn't going to be coming back here for the rest of the year. And transient the travel business has been dominated, obviously, by just people driving to locations. Is that our reality for the next six months or is that 12 months or 18 months? And you know, some mess lenders are already trying to forecast where they think some Positive opportunities from their perspective will lay. And the same is true for sellers and buyers. I'm literally right now today working on a purchase of a significant hotel, a very large purchase price. And it's, you know, I both it's probably viewed as opportunistic and a good thing for both the seller and the buyer. You know, the seller is probably looking for an opportunity to put some more cash in its accounts and otherwise shore up some of its other properties because it owns lots of other properties. And the buyer sees an opportunity to buy 
property and one that maybe it wouldn't have in a different time uh, and one that it'll probably hold for a long time. It's, it's you know, a lot of hotel properties, particularly when you start talking about the, the higher classes and particular kinds of markets, you can't replicate them so easily. Uh, so there'll only be so many opportunities. And there seems to be lenders and others interested in those kinds of plays where there are solid owners who have not only the ability to finance it equity-wise, but they have long-term visions and people are looking at it that way. The same thing will happen with the flags. As I was mentioning before, they'll be repositioning. And some will actually stay with their chain, but maybe they'll move up or down the scale. That's one thing that'll be interesting to see with the success of extended stay and perhaps some of the realities that we've seen in other downturns where down market properties perform better than some of the, the higher end properties Will there be some repositioning of hotels to something that is an extended stay property or something that's a little less driven by full service and F&B? And then for managers, you know, particularly those that aren't branded, you know, some of them will have lots of opportunity. They'll acquire other managers or they'll pick up contracts from other managers who are faltering. And some of them have some key money you know, to make them an attractive change. That was the reality of the prior downturns. While people were not working on development projects as much and perhaps buying and selling slowed down, you know, managers moving in out of properties was very healthy in prior downturns. And I think it'll be here too. You know, managers probably won't be to blame for the reality of a hotel for COVID, but it doesn't mean that an owner doesn't want to change some things up. And there'll be new strategies because a lot of hotels will need to drive new strategies, definitely in the short term, but probably in the long term as well. We have time for one last question, Christian. Can you tell us about some of the ways that hotels and other lodging houses have transformed themselves to meet the circumstances of the moment and whether that's been successful and how long they can stay afloat with these types of creative strategies? Yeah, there's there's definitely been those creative strategies. Actually, today I'm wearing a T-shirt uh, for one of my clients. It's not a, a hotel client, but it's in the hospitality space. It's a craft distillery here in San Diego. And they make some great vodka. And, uh, but, you know, their realities of shutting down tasting rooms and distribution and everything else meant COVID looked really dangerous for them. But they started making hand sanitizer. And that's allowed them to shore up. They actually have more employees than they did before. And that's basically been an opportunity for them to finance themselves with respect to their go forward operations, which their long term vision is still to make great vodka. Misadventure Vodka, if you want to check it out. It's one of my favorites. The same has been true for hotels. I mean, particularly, we've seen it, and we've seen it in all kinds of markets, where hotels have been turned into basically makeshift hospitals. They've been turned into homeless shelters in Manhattan and lots of other places. Uh, They're being used extensively as dormitories around college campuses something that was never done before. But the reality of social distancing and only only having so many students in there, there are numerous examples of that already occurring. Now, those are all short-term realities, probably for the most part, but some of them may be a permanent shift. Uh, And I think that's the kind of mentality that a lot of people will have with their properties. It's kind of to the repositioning mentioned previously about a flag or a manager or something else. Is there something that this property could do differently, you know, particularly with food and beverage, which has obviously been tough. And you know, we do a lot of that within the firm too. And in many ways, that's been harder hit than some segments of the hotel industry. 
And will hotels move away from it? Or will they actually move to F&B and learn better how to do the catering aspects or to be a source of food and beverage for the community? The interesting thing is that implicates so much from your finance perspective, because that rolls right back into it. Whether you're thinking about taking your hotel and turning it into a dormitory long-term, whether you're thinking about completely shifting the way you operated your food and beverage or some of your other amenities before, you know, that will roll straight into your realities with your lenders, your investors, your brand, your managers, pretty much everybody who's in the mix, much less unions and other things that could be very relevant. And so I think we'll see quite a bit of that. You know, we've seen it already. I'm working on deals right now where people are actually thinking about their deals in a different light. What if 10 years from now, this hotel shouldn't be a hotel anymore and I want to convert its use and negotiating that with some of its partners from the go-get? But that's not the reality for many hotels today. So it'll be an interesting discussion. And like everything, people are trying to forecast into the future. And with the level of predictability we have today, forecasting will be difficult. I know people are already trying to do their budgets for 2021 in the hotel industry. That process has started, and it would normally start not too long from now, but it's probably started earlier. And it's going to be really difficult, again, for all those same constituents to be thinking about what do hotel budgets look like in 2021. Hopefully, there'll be some good financing sources because one, you know, there's only so many bad things that we want to see happen to our economy, and two, there's a lot of great properties out there at all levels that hopefully we'll all be visiting for business and leisure. I know I want to get back to it, and I imagine you do too. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Kristen, so much for that whirlwind tour of the hospitality landscape. And I hope that uh, pretty soon we'll be able to sit down together and try some of that vodka you mentioned. Sounds good. It's been great chatting with you today. Great chatting with you. I look forward to that vodka and seeing you soon. And now it's time for This Week in History. We must, of course, acknowledge the horrific events that occurred just 19 years ago on September 11, 2001. The death and destruction caused on that day by a handful of terrorists was a low point for humanity. But in its aftermath, there was also triggered a global outpouring of sympathy and solidarity that shows what people across the world can do when they put aside their differences and join together as one. We should all be inspired by that positive energy and know that we can overcome any challenge if we collectively put our hearts and minds to the task. But I also don't want this week to be remembered only for 9-11. More than 500 years ago on September 8, 1504, Michelangelo's Statue of David was unveiled in Florence, Italy. This awesome work of art was carved from a single marble slab that had been rejected by many other sculptors of the day and took Michelangelo almost an entire year to complete. On its face, it tells the story of a single person, David, about to do battle with Goliath, a seemingly unbeatable foe he ultimately defeats. But it is also a story of the remarkable beauty and global cultural impact that a single, determined artist was able to deliver for all the world to see and share, and it is one that has withstood the test of time. So, my wish today is that we harness the collective love and energy that followed from 9-11 with the individual determination and skill within each of us exemplified in Michelangelo's Statue of David and make our world a better place for us and for generations to come. 
That's all for today. See you next time. And thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.